Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 4, in verse 18, and Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, wouldn't that be weird if they were casting a net into a sea, but they weren't fishermen? Just thought that's funny. They throw that little adage in there. Just in case you're wondering why they're throwing nets into the sea, they're fishing. Okay. Then he said to them, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. They immediately, everyone say immediately, left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers. James, the sons of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. Also happened to be fishermen. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father. Everyone say immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. We know that Jesus is what? He is bringing alongside his mission, his endeavor, disciples, right? We know the end of the story. We know what he's doing here. He's not just randomly, uh, you know, playing tag, you're it. He's not just, you know, randomly uh, trying to build, uh, you know, an entourage or a group to travel around with him. He's making disciples. He's bringing people close to him, near him, to be with him, to become disciples. In Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5 and verse 10, and so also were James and John, another account of the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From, no, from now on, you will catch men. And when they had brought their boats to land, here it is, they forsook all and followed him. Notice the abandonment that's taking place to individuals that really he's just becoming acquainted with. We don't have a, you know, a long, steady relationship here. We're not talking about, uh, you know, people that have grown up together and, and hey, you know what, you, you know what I'm all about and, and I've been watching your life and you exhibit traits and qualities. You seem to be a great candidate for my mission. We're, we're talking about just very short acquaintance, just picking somebody that they see working, that they see doing a certain activity and say, you know what, that looks like a good candidate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that individual, Peter, hey, well, you got a brother, Andrew, you come along too. James and John happen to be brothers. We see in uh, uh, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 13, Mark chapter 2 and verse 13, then he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. So he arose and what? Followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. 
We know, of course, of the 12 disciples. We know of their names. But at times, Jesus had hundreds of disciples that followed him. We had hundreds of individuals that did some form or some measure of forsaking for the sake of following Jesus, his teachings, and his ministry. In, um, where were we at? Mark chapter 2, verse 16 going on. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Not only did he eat and drink with them, but he called at least one of them. We just read Matthew was one of those tax collectors. Apparently, being a tax collector of the day was not culturally accepted. The policing, they are the, the, the arm. Uh, they were actually, uh, you know, localists that betrayed the, the, the local, uh, you know, nationality, if you will, because remember, they're under Roman occupation. So who's asking for the taxes to be paid? To come under Roman rule and to be an active arm of Roman occupation against their own people, collecting money, collecting taxes, taxes that they shouldn't have to pay if they weren't under Roman occupation. Y'all following? And so, you know, Matthew is an outsider. Matthew is a betrayer. Matthew is a sellout. And this is the individual Jesus picks. This is the one that Jesus goes after. Huh? He's the IRS? Well, you got something against the IRS? It's tax season. How many of you just got a reminder to complete your taxes? Yeah, yeah. Today, they're still hated. You're right. Yep. Okay. Thank you for that information, Pastor Chris. I'll give you the microphone next time. <laughs> Absolutely. How many of you like the IRS? You got, a, you got a friend in the IRS? Okay. Yep. Yep. If you did, you're keeping your hand down. I know it. You're like, I ain't letting anybody else know that. Hallelujah. Okay. So, uh, you know, look down upon. Not exactly the, a candidate to be chosen. Not, not someone that is being readily run after like, hey, this is the cream of the crop. We need these individuals on our team is what I'm trying to stress. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I'm kind of going through these quickly because I'm just trying to lay a, a bit of a foundation here. We're going to hit some verses here later on that we're going to break down a little more. But we're just looking at a pattern Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted. Everyone say distracted. Distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my servant has left, my, my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. What passive aggressive Martha? How, how passive aggressive is Martha? Tell her to come to me, you know. I know none of y'all are like that, but that's okay. 
And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. We're seeing an element of Jesus's ministry. Remember, let me me back up just a little bit. We are talking about the reigning spirit, and I'm still talking about the reigning spirit. We have been talking about the element of understanding the spirit realm and understanding the matters of the spirit. And we learned that, yes, uh, in the last days and really in any day, uh, believers can fall away from the faith uh, you know, by giving uh, themselves over to the sinful ways of the world, not living, you know, not pursuing holiness and righteousness and, and, and those matters. But we're also discovering that the word of God tells us, reminds us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that many will fall away, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, when they're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, They don't know that they're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons because they're seducing spirits. Does that make sense? They don't know it. They have gotten caught up in a lie, is what we've been talking about, deception, delusion. It begins with distraction. It begins uh, by placing value on something that God does not place value on. And so we're recognizing that not only will people fall away into, you know, blatant sin and say, I'm no longer following the faith. I don't live my life according to this word and to this king. But there are those that believe they're pressing into the things of God, but yet are not. They're being drug away. They're being manipulated. They're being uh, twisted into following what they believe is the faith, but it is not. And so we're learning that there, yes, there are more, there is more than one spirit. But we want to know the reigning spirit. There is only one reigning spirit. That means all others are playing the counterfeit while there is one authentic. And so we're spending time this year to learn how to live our lives yielded to the reigning spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so we've spent some time already, cannot recap everything that we've gone through, but we have spent some time already uh, uncovering what this deception looks like and understanding how deception works and how, uh, you know, it it is, uh, you know, operating in the church, not in the world, because you can't fall away from something you weren't already a part of. We're not talking about the world and their darkness. We're talking about those that were once in the light but are now being lured away to the things of other matters. And so we've spent some time looking at that. But what I want to kind of turn a corner or add another element, 2.0, if you will, to this deception issue and to this delusion issue is the matter of knowing the heart and the nature of the Father. Knowing the heart and the nature of the Father. Uh, We have, I think, last probably three weeks at least, 
broken down what it means to know the word of God. If you are going to avoid deception, do I have any people in the room that want to avoid deception? Yep, just about every hand. The rest of you, we'll get you in on this one too. We'll get there eventually. Yeah, we want to avoid deception. We don't want to be part of the group that's falling away. We don't want to be a part of, nobody wants to be in that category at the end of days, in the last days. We want to be a part of the group that remains, endures, perseveres, stands strong, remains grounded and founded on the word and God's agenda and God's mission. Amen. But we see that uh, this luring and this seductiveness, this attractiveness is picking the church off little by little. And the ways that we're gonna avoid deception, number one, we've got to know God's word. What are they falling away from? The faith, God's word. And they know how to twist it. They know how to manipulate it. They know how to make it sound good. They know, they know how to take it out of context, yet make it sound even better than it was in context. They know how to do this. So we must know God's word. But here's the problem. If you know God's word without knowing God's heart, it'll become a weapon instead of a tool. I'll say that again. If you know God's word without knowing God's heart, it will become a weapon instead of a tool. It'll become truth out of love. No, we need truth in love. Ephesians 4 tells us, speaking the truth in love. It's not just the contents that are important, but the package, right? Well, how do we always put this? It's not what you say, but it's how you say it. Husbands and wives, it's not what you say, but it's how you said it. And we understand that that is a danger in the church. And we will find ourselves just as deceived with all the access and with all the information and with all the head knowledge that we can acquire from this book. You can be a scholar and still deceived. You can be an intellectual and still deceived. You can be a philosopher and still deceived. You can be the one that knows it all to the level that you ought to know it and still be deceived. Knowing the word is not the end. It's a very important part because there are people that want to know the heart of the father without getting it, giving any value to his word. Well, let me just go ahead and stop you right there. You don't even know the heart of the father if you don't value the word, he, the, the way he values it. Because the number one things he, the number one thing he values is his word. Bible actually says that he places his word above his name. That's pretty high honor. So if you're going to know the heart of the father, you must know the word of the father, which means I can't bend where he doesn't bend. I don't allow where he doesn't allow. I don't accept where he doesn't accept. Come on. And so, yes, I need to know the, the heart of the father, but it must be grounded in the word of the Father. But we spent time talking about that, so now I want to take this turn in knowing the, the true heart and the nature of the Father. And we're recognizing something about Jesus and his ministry that we talk about a lot. A lot. In fact, we may be the only group on this planet 
especially in our country, that uses the word disciple. I mean, just a quick poll. You can raise your hand if this applies. How many of you use the word disciple in any other context except Christian or church? Raise your hand. How many of you have disciples uh, at your uh, mechanic shop? How many of you have disciples, uh, you know, in in, in your uh, place of business? How many of you have disciples on your coaching teams, all you little league coaches in the room, all you guys getting ready for, uh, you know, uh, you know, baseball this season? You got disciples on the field. Anybody use that? I'm glad all my disciples are here today. I'm going to disciple you in the game of baseball. I'm going to disciple you in how to fix a car. I'm going to disciple you in how to, uh, you know, administrate. I'm going to disciple you in how to stock these shelves. I'm going to disciple you. It's interesting that we may be, listen to this, we may be the only group on the planet that uses the word disciple. But we also may be the only group on the planet that uses it as inadequately as we do. Y'all still with me? What I mean by that is Jesus did not invent discipleship. He did not come up with that term. In fact, when he uses that term, in the Greek, it's methetes. When he uses that term, they are readily familiar with discipleship. They are well aware of what a disciple looks like. They are well aware of what it means to follow after another. That word, of course, as we've heard before, it means pupil, student, learner. It means to study under. Discipleship is not a a, a rare term. It's not something that he brought into play. It's like, oh, man, what an awesome illustration. What an awesome idea to create this. Why didn't we think of this? This has been happening. It's been happening with the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day and age. They are well aware of what disciple of what a disciple is, of what discipleship really looks like. And this is the key to knowing the heart of the Father. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is what the enemy wants to do. What the enemy wants to do is show you another way, another truth, and another life. He said, I am the He didn't say, I'm the only. He said, I'm the. What I mean by that is there will be other ways introduced, but none of them will be what the way can do. There will be other lives introduced, but none of them will produce the life that I can give you, the life more abundantly. There will be other truths introduced, but I am the truth, the only. I, I, I am the one that remains, not only in the sense that you won't have options, I'm just the only one that will give you what this can provide you. Y'all with me? And so uh, we understand that Jesus, in his ministry, before he launches out, as he's launching out, one of the first steps he takes is to make disciples or bring disciples under his training, under his study, those that would follow him, follow him intently. 
Let me just give you some ideas of what this discipleship just on a natural level looked like. So we, we, we have to break these things down. If you think all this stuff is Christian, Christianese, if you think all this stuff is church, that's why I said we may be the only ones that use the term, but I can promise you it's being used in other sectors of society much better than we're using it. We're using it and we broke it at the same time. That's pretty bad. You, you go around trying to redefine stuff. What happens when you redefine something? You break it. It's not going to produce the results that it was intended to produce. It's not. It might be a smaller pill to swallow. It might be, might be a lot easier to roll off the tongue. It might not, uh, uh, you know, provoke uh, such disruption or opposition in your life. You can water it down all you want, but you're not going to get the results. You know, there's, there's people that water stuff down. You know, one thing, I, I, I'm sure some of you do it. If I come to your house, I won't say a word about it. But I, I just don't like when people water down the soap. I just, when you go to put, I mean, there's just something about getting, I mean, my favorite soap is the puffy stuff. I don't know what you call it. Huh? Foam. There you go. The foaming kind. I call it the puffy stuff. I like that stuff, man, like shaving cream right there in the middle of your hand, you know? I like that. But, man, when I hit that thing and water comes shooting out and it goes up my arm, you know, I know what you did. You try to stretch that thing out. Guess what? It ain't producing the same results as the foamy, puffy stuff. I like, the, I like it thick, man. Get that, man, lather that thing up. You know, I, I know what soaps I like to use in the shower because I've tried some and it, you squirt it and it just comes out like a water. But it's like, what is this? I'm, I've already got the water. You just put a, a little fragrance in there and call it soap? No. Lather that stuff up, man. He can water stuff down. And it may try to take on <clears throat> the resemblance of something. But it's not going to give you the results of it. Resemblance does not equal results. Resemblance does not equal results. And so we have created something that might resemble discipleship. But we have fallen away from discipleship, not according just to what Jesus intended it to mean, but what it originally was intended to mean and produce. So let me give you this. The intent of discipleship. Should have put this on a slide for you, but I'll say it a few times so you can get it down. The intent of discipleship is to train in such a way. The intent of discipleship is to train in such a way that they could eventually replace the one they follow. The intent of discipleship is to train in such a way that they could eventually replace the one 
they followed. I'll say it one more time. The intent of discipleship is to train in such a way that they could eventually replace the one they followed. Now, not replace as in substitute, replace as in extension. I'll say that one more time. Not replace as a substitute, replace as an extension. When uh, an organization, let's just take Chick-fil-A, we're all familiar with Christian chicken, right? Except today. One day you want it. (laughs) Nope, closed on Sundays. Chick-fil-A. When they want to extend, or what we would call a franchise, they are not replacing it, closing one down, opening this one. They're extending it. Miss Erica, I believe you're a training coordinator, aren't you? Isn't that what you do? She's a training coordinator for Chick-fil-A. She's got a guaranteed day off every Sunday. Praise God. And she's responsible for discipling, making disciples, so that when you go into any restaurant, if you're in Southern California or the northern tip of Maine, the, the, if you're, it doesn't matter where you're at, I once went to Chick-fil-A in New York City. Doesn't that sound great? Go all the way to New York City to eat at Chick-fil-A. And you know what? It was open at one o'clock in the morning. And I was just curious. I just was curious. Is it going to taste the same? I mean, we live in the state. You know, the closer you get to the original, the the, the greater uh, you have uh, the, the, the greater um, chance you have of it looking like the original, right? You get up to New York City, it's much different culture, right? Guess what? That mac and cheese, just as cheesy and macked as it is in Georgia. Man, that peanut oil, I mean, you can't, you're not going to close my eyes and eat it and know where it came from. Can't miss it. Those waffle fries, can't miss it. I've been to McDonald's in uh, Nicaragua, the same. Now, you know, they actually had something different that we do not have in this country. At least they did not at the time. A Big Mac double. It's called the Big Mac double. <laughs> you just learned to say Big Mac. What, well, what is it in Spanish? It's Big Mac. What is Anchor Faith Church in Nicaragua? It's Anchor Faith Church. That's what we call it. They use the English word. But you know what? Tasted the same. I just talked to someone. I think it was, I don't know, Pastor Marcus, or maybe it was Chase Glisson. They just got back from India. I think in November they were over there. Had McDonald's over there. The same. Ketchup tastes the same. Meat tastes the same. Why? Because it's a... It's an extension of the original. It's not a substitute. It's not like you get to put your Indian spin on it. It wasn't a Big Mac curry. (laughs) You know, 
you know, not, I, you know, no, no traditional, no cultural buy-in. When you create a disciple, when you make a disciple, it's full abandonment of what it was to fully become what it should be. The intent to train in such a way that you can eventually replace that which you are training under, become an extension of it. That would not be confused, that there would be no discrepancy between, that they would look at you and say, that's, that's the same thing. That's discipleship. I think I gave you this quote uh, the last week or a couple weeks ago, but it's stuck with me ever since I heard it about two or three years ago. I think it was 2021 I first heard this quote. The greatest need for the church in the last days is that Christians would become disciples. Because somehow we have separated the two. Somehow we have made two different categories of people that are in the church. I think I told you this statistic as well. 71% of people, uh, and, and in fact, I just heard a new one just this week that said 63%. So whenever I first heard the statistic, at the time of when that person gave the statistic, which I don't know, it was 71%. We've already dropped down 63%. 63% in the United States claim to be of the Christian faith. And with our best measurements, devotion is tough to measure. The heart is tough to measure, isn't it? But with our best measurements, of asking the questions and addressing the criteria that would make someone a devoted follower of Jesus, out of those 63%, the best measurement we have is 4% of those are fully, wholly devoted followers of Jesus that what, it would, what would be necessary to be a disciple. In their age, there was no such thing as a Christian. Jesus never used the term Christian. Jesus never once said, I came to make Christians. Jesus never once, you won't find, in fact, our uh, 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 line of progress, our idea of raise your hand, come to an altar, confess your sins, declare Jesus uh, that, uh, you know, uh, believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, saved you so that when you die and go, that you won't even find that progression in the Bible. We made, we made that up. And the church made it up, not the world. The church did it. Now, I believe the church did this initially with some good intention. They didn't do it with the mindset of, you know, let's water this thing down and just make it as thin as possible. This is too rigid, it's too harsh, it's too hard. They did it with the intention of broadening and widening the capacity for people to come into the kingdom, for people to be disciples and become disciples. But the problem is, is when you lower the standard, you lower the value. When you lower the measurement, you inherently lower the result. There's no way you're going to get high values with low standards. It doesn't work. Nobody's doing it. Nobody's successful with that. And so what's the, 
What's the issue at hand? We have to keep the measurement that Jesus had. Now, why am I saying this? Because we're talking about knowing the heart and the nature of the Father. And eventually we're going to get on down here. We're going to see that the crippling effect to knowing the heart and the nature of the Father is the lack of real devotion. I was talking with a pastor friend just this past week. We were out of town in Oklahoma at a conference. And I was just talking with a pastor friend about it. And he said this to me. He said, you know what? You know what disciple, you were seeing discipleship today. We just got on this conversation. He didn't even know this is where I was going this weekend. We were just having a conversation. And he, he made some amazing statements. He said, discipleship today, we see it everywhere. He put it this way. He said, discipleship today in the secular environment is leadership minus consecration. I mean, every time you see a leadership guru given their leadership qualities and, or, or, or someone starting a company and what it means to be bought into that, you know, I mean, there, there are organizations, this is why I say we might be the ones doing it the, less, the, the, the least effectively and adequately when it comes to discipleship because you know who's got disciples? Apple does. I make no bones about it. I am one. I know when their products come out. I want almost every one of them. They finally created something that I really have no interest in. The weird goggle thing that you put on your face it just looks ridiculous. But they'll improve it, and I'm sure I'll be like, all right, got to have it. But they've got disciples, man. I mean, you go in their stores. I mean, it's like you just stepped out of the world and stepped into the Apple world. The, the culture in there, the way that they talk, the way that they look, the way that they dress, the way everything's laid out. I mean, it, and again, it doesn't matter. If you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, if you're in Orlando, Florida, if you're in New York City, it doesn't matter. This the culture stays the same. They have discipled. They're making disciples. These individuals are creating followers. The only issue that's missing when it comes to Biblical discipleship is this matter of consecration. You can teach leadership principles all day long, but until you have the consecration and the devotion to it, this is the matter that's missing. This is the element that's missing. Is we have created, it's almost like we have done this. We have created a model where discipleship is a secondary track that's optional for those that want to go a little deeper and a little further. And even as I say that, you're like, but it's not. No, it's not. Jesus didn't produce that. Jesus didn't create that. Again, Jesus didn't create discipleship. But I can tell you what he didn't do. He didn't lower the standard. He increased it. He did not lower the standard. He increased it. This term disciple, also, this is interesting, discipleship, just on the natural secular level again, with the rabbis and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was not open to just anyone. It was a very exclusive company. 
You had to know the first five books of the Bible by the age of five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not the names of them. (laughs) Not what are the five books. Quote them. Verse by verse. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. All the way through the last verse of Deuteronomy. And then it went even further. For those that truly wanted to become their predecessor, to become the person they were training under, they not only had to know the first five, they ended up eventually having to know the whole Old Testament. The whole thing. You knew it. Intellectually, you knew it. That was discipleship. Jesus did not come to lower the standard. It's a very exclusive company. And everybody desired, everybody desired to be that, but not everybody made it. So then when Jesus makes statements like, whoever wants to be my disciple, now that was a game changer. Because see, this is what happened is in the original way that the rabbis had it set up, they did the rejecting. To, so they did not run the risk of being rejected and saying, I don't want any part of that. They did the rejecting. You're not selected, you're not selected, you're not selected, you're not, you don't make it, you're not a candidate, you, you don't have what it takes. And so they're doing the rejecting. Well, Jesus came to flip that thing on its head and says, whoever, which means what? A lot of people will reject him. He was willing to take on what every other rabbi or every other teacher of the law was unwilling to do. He said, I'm I'm opening this thing up, not lowering the standard, but making it more widely accepted. To get in, this is still what it takes. And many people will say, nah, that's too hard. Or no, I'm only willing to do this, this, and this, but not this, that, and that. I'm only willing to go so far. See, Jesus isn't rejecting anybody. Well, how could a loving God send people to hell? He's not. Everybody has the same opportunity to make the same choice, the same decision to follow after. And so when Jesus walks down the coast and finds some fishermen and a tax collector and the rest of the messed up bunch that he picks out, he completely flipped this thing on his head and said, those are your disciples? They don't know the law like we know the law. They don't, they, they, they don't follow the commands. And every time a Pharisee showed up, they were finding a way that they weren't following the command. You're disciples. How come they don't wash their hands before they eat? Uh, why, why are you healing people on the Sabbath? Right? Because they're rule followers. I mean, these were the most type A people that have ever walked the planet. It's got to be done this way. It's got to be done like this. It's got to be done at this time. It's got to be done on this day. And and you just get your mind full of information, intellectual knowledge without any heart. You turn the rules of God and the laws of God, which are still in effect, but you turn them into a weapon rather than a tool. A weapon to refuse rather, rather than a tool to accept and draw in. 
But Jesus isn't using a term. He's not talking about something that's unfamiliar. He's not talking about something that doesn't make any sense. He doesn't have to train the, the, the culture in this is what a disciple is. He's following that same formula and just expands it with the same standard. Amen. But this is where it begins in Mark chapter 3. to be trained with the intent to eventually replace. No distinguishing, no discrepancy, modeled after, patterned after. Mark chapter three and verse 13 says, he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12. So remember, he's not just calling 12, he's calling a lot. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Highlight that, star that, underline it, whatever you got to do. That they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. Verse 15, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. But notice the first thing that's mentioned, that they might be with. Just simply accompany, simply follow, be there when I'm there, say what I say, do as I do, act as I act, respond as I respond. It was said of a lot of these disciples of their teachers, their rabbi, that they would even begin to vocally sound like them, their inflections, their figures of speech, the nature of their language. It was so tightly modeled and patterned after their predecessor. How does that happen? Devotion, consecration to something, being so in union with that they might be with him. Know this, being with precedes doing for. Being with precedes doing for. Before I can do for him, I must simply be with him. It was never intended that we would try in our best attempts to model discipleship without being wholly devoted to him. Never intended that we would get action before being. That we would intend to do or try to do before we ever became. Now again, Jesus is saying, whoever, I mean, that's pretty broad, isn't it? Whoever. Whoever wants to be. So this is open for anybody. But there are some things that you're going to have to participate in. What's this tell us? That there is a relational aspect that must become the foundation of our activity. 
There's a relational aspect that must become, must become, must become the foundation of our activity. And the enemy wants to replace discipleship with mere activity alone. And it's called religion. Religion is activity minus relationship. Religion is activity minus relationship. And Paul, talking to Timothy, said it this way. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. A form of godliness. It's interesting when you read that passage. Was that 2 Timothy 3, I believe? A form of godliness, verse 5. But if you read before that, it says in the last days, and they list off some garbage stuff. And you would easily think, oh man, he's talking about the world. He's talking about all those lost people out there. The way they talk about it, they're liars and they're cheaters and they're lovers of self and, and, and lovers of pleasure. And, and he has this whole you know, gross list. It's like, oh, I don't wanna be a part of that group at all. And then he concludes it in verse five and says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. That all that garbage stuff he just listed was associated to Christians. People who call themselves followers of the faith. People who would call themselves exhibit all those things, yet still have a form of godliness. How in the world is that possible? Well, it's happening. Sometimes I wonder if, if Paul and Timothy look down on the earth right now, and Paul just looks over at Timothy and says, see, I told you. <laughs> I told you it was gonna happen. We're watching it unfold before our very eyes. We're watching all this be unveiled. Remember what we said, the exposure does not mean increase. It's just being seen. But there's a form of godliness even for those that have no value for the things of God. But you can still put on a form. It's called religion. It's what the enemy asked Eve to trade out righteousness for. Man's attempt to be like God. Remember what he said? If you eat the fruit of the tree, you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Remember he said that. It's man's attempt, your futile attempt, natural attempt to be like him. When what? He's already created you in his image. He's already given you everything you need. He's already given you everything necessary to be like him, become like him, to be with him and to eventually do what he did, to eventually replace him in the earth. Not as a substitute, but as an extension of, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's given that all to you. You don't need any natural attempts other than be with him. And this be with him is in complete union. Not be with him when it's convenient. Not be with him when it's comfortable. Not be with him as long as nobody makes fun of me. Not be with him until he asks for something I don't wanna give, right? We got a rich young ruler. Everybody, every pastor wants a rich young ruler on their staff. You got money, you got influence. 
rich, young, ruler, and you got years. But because he wouldn't what? Let go of the one thing. There's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have. Why? Because following me is gonna ask all of you. And there can't be anything that's off limits. There can't be anything that I can't touch. There can't be anything that you won't give me access to. There can't be anything that you won't be willing to lay down to follow me. Y'all doing good? He says that uh, before they were sent out to preach, before they were given power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons, he said that they might be with him because being with him is the essence of discipleship. Being with him, devoted to him, following him is the essence. That's where you learn what to lay down. That's where you learn what to pass off. That's where you learn what his heart values instead of what your heart values. Because there's times your heart says, let's cuss them out. And he says, no, we're gonna love them. And then there's gonna be times where your heart says, oh, but they're doing okay. Let me just hang on a little while. He's like, nope, cut it off now. Know the father's heart, know the nature of God, and you won't fall prey to deception. All right, let's move this thing along. Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Talking about religion. Religion is activity minus relationship. Look at this in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Boy, they got the verbiage down. They call me by the right name. Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who, what, does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never, what, knew you. doesn't say anything about the activity. He goes straight to the relationship. He says, disregard all that activity. Who are you again? Notice there's nothing here. He doesn't even speak to the activity. He doesn't even say, man, that's great. Thank you for, but, 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 but here's the missing. He doesn't even acknowledge that. He just says, what are you doing here? The problem is, is we accept activity as a form of maturity, but it is not. We think activity equals spirituality, but it does not. He said, the missing element is I never knew you. You weren't with me. I mean, you want to talk about deception. So deceived that you thought you were ending up in a place that you're not. And surprised when you lay out all your accolades and find out he's not impressed by any of it. That's that's deception at its worst level. 
If you read just a few verses before this, you find out that Jesus is addressing false prophets. He's, that's the verses uh, leading up to it where he talks about false uh, prophet. You'll know them by their fruit. A bad tree can't uh, produce good fruit and a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit, right? He goes, he says all that. And then he says, not everyone who says to me. It's eye-opening. See, part of the requirement to identify the counterfeit is the ability to recognize that activity doesn't mean spirituality. You can avoid falling prey to deception and to the lies and to the counterfeit that the enemy will bring when you become fully devoted to him and who he is. I'm gonna tell you right now, you can desire to know the Father all you want. You can call him Abba all day long. You can come up with all the, 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 the spiritual, you know, uh, uh, daddy God verbiage you want. But if you aren't fully devoted to him as a disciple, you can wave all the flags you want, attend all the services you want, bounce, bounce from revival and conference all you want. But if you don't fully follow him, fully devoted to him, you're gonna end up in the I never knew you category. I'm not saying all those things are wrong. Expressions are expressions, but should come from a heart. And too many times we're trying to work this thing from the outside in, and God wants it from the inside out. Matthew chapter 16. I gotta go. Matthew 16. Verse 24, y'all doing okay? All right, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires, this is that passage, whoever, whoever, if anyone desires to come after me, here it is. See, it sounds good when he opens up that way. If anyone, here's the, I'm making it broad. Anybody can do this, but let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. <laughs> Guys, it, let's just go ahead and cover this now. Jesus had many more that betrayed him than followed him, that left him than stayed with him. 120 in the upper room. And you know how many people he showed himself to after his resurrection? 500. After. Like you watched me die on a cross, here I am before you, and you won't show up to the upper room when I'm asking for some folks to show up to the upper room? Dude, I see someone come back to life. Boy, you tell me where to be, when to be there, how to be there. I will be there. Ah, it's too far away. Ah, I got stuff to do. But Jesus deals with this with several individuals. First, let me go bury my dead father. Man, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. Oh, I know, harsh. This is not the way. I, I, I promise you at Vision Partnership, you will not hear from us next Saturday. Go let the dead bury the dead. You come here and work. I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. But to follow Jesus is what? Showing us. It's a full, wholehearted devotion. It's open to anybody. But let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Mm, it's that denying of self. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
In the Passion Translation, listen to these verses. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. You must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. (laughs) Wow. This is discipleship. Now we start to wonder why people, now we start to see, not just wonder, we, we see why people get off. Because they've accepted discipleship on their terms. Discipleship is never on the terms of the disciple. It's always on the terms of the discipler. And let me just go ahead and say this. We, we say this a lot. I'm just going to go ahead and knock over this sacred cow right now. I'm going to bludgeon it. It might hurt a little bit because we've all said it. I've said it. I just want to be discipled. I want, will you disciple me? You, will you go up to people and say, will you disciple me? The word disciple, not one time, not one time in the Bible is used as a verb. It's used as a noun. You become a disciple. Why is this important? Because when you say stuff like, will you disciple me? You're putting the responsibility on them to disciple you. But when you accept it as a noun, I become a disciple. I am a disciple. The onus is on me. I have to completely accept that. that My level of discipleship is up to me, not because someone didn't bring me in their office and have coffee with me or read books with me or go through programs with me. It's because I did not step into being a fully fully devoted follower of Jesus. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but, but when you use the word disciple, you take other words that the Bible uses for disciple like brethren, believer, Make those a verb. Will you brethrening me? Will you believering me? It don't work. We've, we've taken a noun and turned it into a verb, and then we wonder why we're not growing. We wonder why we're not developing. Well, they just won't teach me the word. Oh, they just want, I just can't find the right person. I uh, just, no, 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 no. You become, it's up to you to become a fully, fully devoted follower of Jesus. I said it earlier, the greatest need in the earth today is that Christians become disciples. Let me give you five ways you become a disciple. Let me put it this way. Five elements discipleship requires. Requires. Not one of five, not five elements. Discipleship requires. Number one is listening. So this is why the distractions are going to hinder your discipleship. You're not even listening. Mary was found at the feet of Jesus, listening intently. Doesn't make activity wrong, but Martha valued her activity over her sitting. Listening, number two, is learning. Learning. Number three, observing. You observe. You follow so closely. It was said of these disciples that they would 
literally follow their rabbi or their teacher. Literally. And not even at the teacher's request. They ensured I'm following right behind. Hey, I've got to go to the supermarket real quick. I'll be back. Okay, I'm right, right behind you. Literally behind them. Literally walking the streets. An author that I'm reading right now, he puts it this way. The rabbi's dust becomes your dust. That closely. You smell like him. You look like him. You act like him. Everywhere he is, you're found. Is this challenging anybody or just me? Am I the only one up here like, wow, this is, this is deep. Observing. You got to be close enough to observe. Number four, <clears throat> obeying. Obeying. Number five, imitating. Imitate. Now, I've got one more. And as I was doing this, I was like, I just had it on there as the sixth one. I said, no, it's got to be bigger than that. I believe this last element sums up all other five elements. The listening, the learning, the observing, the obeying, and the imitating. All is summed up in one word. Denying. Denying yourself. Worship team, if you come. Denying. To listen, you must deny the distractions. To learn, you must deny what you've already learned. That's the biggest problem that I see. It's the renewing of the mind. You'd have no problem receiving that if it was the only thing you knew. The problem is, is the new thing butts up against the old thing, and now you're warring between this is the way I thought it was, and this is the way Jesus said it's going to be. Some of us are doing that today. It requires denying. The observing requires the denying, because now it's setting my affection, affections on the thing above, not on things below. Where's my gaze? Where's my focus, like we've been talking about? Obeying, that's easy. Denial of my flesh, denial of what I want to do, denial of doing it the way I want to do it, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Imitating. Would you all stand with me? Just a moment of consecration. I've got more verses, but we're going to pick up next week. We're just going to take care of this matter of consecration this morning. I'm going to open this altar up. I don't need anybody to respond. I don't need anybody to come. This is you and Jesus. I'm just going to open this altar up. It doesn't have to be super emotional. It doesn't have to be super heavy. But I do believe it demands a step. A physical step. I can't go to the Middle East. I I can't go to Israel today and, and literally walk the streets with him but I can consecrate in my decision. I can consecrate in my mind. I can consecrate. I can devote myself.
And yes, we could all just stay right where we're at in the comfort of our chairs and say, Jesus, I follow you. But I believe a step says something. That you'd be willing to step out. The first call I want to make is if you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus at all. It means to make him Lord of your life. It's what we've called the salvation experience, the conversion experience, not bad terms, just not fulfilled terms. If that's you this morning and and you say, I need to make Jesus my Lord. I, I, I've never even taken that step. If that's you, just boldly come down to the front. You don't need to lift a hand. You don't need to uh, do anything else. Just simply come to the front. If that's you, we can take care of that today. There's nothing greater than being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And there's nothing greater than stepping out of darkness into light. There's nothing greater than fully securing my union with him. If that's you, you say, are you going to tell everybody to close their eyes? No, just come down. It's just you and Jesus. It's just you and Jesus. The next call is the obvious one. you need to take this is between you and Jesus it's not for anybody next to you but if you say today I need to consecrate my life more fully you say Pastor Mark I don't even know what that looks like we'll get into it we'll talk about it I can tell you it's far more than just religious practice and how often you read your Bible and how many services you attend and how many teams you're on we're going to talk about it. But if that's you, you say, I need to consecrate. We've already had one respond on our own. Didn't even require me to make a call. But if that's you, just come down to the front. You can step out now. I need to consecrate. I need to be fully separate. I, I, I need to take that step to fully acknowledge. Come on, just, just come to the front. I'm not going to pray for you. This is just you stepping before and acknowledging I need to get bought all the way in. I, I haven't counted my discipleship as I should. This is the heart of the Father. This is not religious activity. And the step doesn't make you more devoted. This is just physically saying, I'm willing to step out from my seat to the front of a room to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus in my life. You've already made him Lord. But now it's a fully devoted acknowledgement. Come on, you tell them in your own words. You tell them in your own words. Father, I have not, I repent. I'm not fully devoted. From fully engaging my discipleship as I should. For doubting you when I shouldn't. And being distracted when I shouldn't. Not observing when I should. Not truly being the imitator I should. He hears that cry. He hears that cry. Oh, we consecrate ourselves to you today. 
we bow before the King of Kings. We bow before the Lord of Lords. We're listening intently. We're learning. We're observing. We're imitating. We're acknowledging. Father, more than anything else, we are denying. Denying ourselves. We say, as John the Baptist said, I must decrease so you can increase. Less of me, more of you. We give that to you now. We give that to you now. Consecration. We don't just want activity without relationship. We don't want to be in the category of I never knew you. The form of godliness, but no power. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, he's open. He's got his arms so wide open. You haven't failed him. It's not too late. He says, anyone who desires, let him come. Let him come. Hallelujah. I want everyone to say this with me. Everyone in the room, whether you're down here or not, say, Father, I devote myself. I consecrate myself. I set myself apart to follow you. I will be a listener. I will be a learner. I will observe. I will obey. I will imitate Jesus and what he did when he said these works that I do, you will do. I accept that. I receive that. I deny myself and I follow you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, give them a shout of praise. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.